You're listening to the iterators of the Imperium. Hi, I'm Mess, and I'm here with my co-host Ryan, and you're listening to Season 2 of the Iterators of the Imperium podcast, the podcast in which Ryan is the expert on Warhammer 40k, and I'm the noob trying to learn about the Warhammer universe. But before we get into it, we do have a Patreon you guys can check out if you want to support the podcast. We also have a Discord where you can get in touch with us and have fun with the Warhammer community. But yeah, let's get into it. So Ryan, what is today's topic? All right, Mez, this is a really good one. But as we have been doing so far this season, I have yes, a quote. I have to guess. You have to yes. guess. All right. This one, I think, is a fairly easy one because the quote is quite um, quite ridiculous in a way. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. So I'm like, there's not a lot else this fits, luckily. So assuming that you, you know, have some kind of memory of the, of the races <laughs> in this that we could be talking about, you should be good. Yeah. Although, for the record, I'm fully prepared to give you the list of remaining races that this could be. If you, oh no, if you need, <laughs> like, if you're like, I can't think of anything, I can happily run through them. Okay, 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 okay. So, I think <clears throat> an alien threat has risen from beyond the abyss, a swarm so vast that it blots out the stars. This horror fights neither for power nor territory, but rather to feed a hunger so insatiable. That it will eventually devour the entire galaxy. That is a, a quote from Inquisitor Lord Fidus Cryptman. What, uh-huh. what do you think he's talking about? Uh, an alien threat. Can can you repeat it? Yeah. <clears throat> an alien threat has risen from beyond the abyss, a swarm mm-hmm. so vast that it blots out the stars. This horror fights for neither power nor territory but rather to feed a hunger so insatiable that it will eventually devour the entire galaxy. And that was the Inquisitor. Uh, Inquisitor Lord Fidus Cryptman. I have uh, mentioned a thing about an Inquisitor uh, dealing with an insane Xenos threat and his ridiculous response to it before. So uh, we, we have talked about the, uh, this topic, but there are certain words in there that really tip the scale as to who this could be. Hmm. Right, what are we thinking? Talk it out. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, there's so there's like infinite like madness yeah. in this in this Warhammer. That is true. That is true. But the thing is, there isn't a lot of Xenos that humanity would look at this way. Because, like, the Eldar, they know the Eldar. They've known the Eldar for, like, 10,000 years at this point. And they recognize them as what they are. They're a a very civilized race, actually. They're not a swarm. They're not feeding their hunger. So it takes Hmm. out ones like that. You know, it takes out the civilized races quite quickly. So is some dietary who's batshit crazy. Yeah, but we've already covered the orcs. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say it cannot be the orcs because we literally just talked about them. Exactly. So there's only really one left that fits. Uh, and it's somebody who's probably just feral. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is a very accurate description. Uh, <laughs> but they're not as stupid as the orcs. <laughs> Oh, what are they called? The ones who make people into furniture? Oh, no, that's the Drukhari. Those are a type of Eldar. Oh, <laughs> right, that's true. That's true. 
Like because I'm still kind of stuck on some parts in terms of like races and what what they've well, been done. Well, that is the I, point I, of this season is to fill in those gaps. Because I know, but yeah. I I just have sequences of like disturbing stuff in my <laughs> mind, right? I'm I'm gonna need therapy. Yeah, you know? just the weirdest um, bit stand out, isn't it? Uh, okay, I'm just gonna. But put what were they called? What? What are what, no 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 wait? What were they called? The ones who who turn feral. Oh, the Blood Angels turn feral. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. No, it's not Blood Angels. God, we know about them. Uh, Well, then I don't know. The Terranids. We're talking about space bugs. Wait, the giant ones with, like, spikes and stuff. Yeah. Oh, Ryan. (laughs) What? They're a swarm. They're literally bugs. They swarm. That's the whole thing. (laughs) I feel dumb now, Ryan. I feel, oh, thank you. (laughs) <laughs> Again, I reckon if I had ran through the list of possible options, you'd probably have clocked it pretty quick. I'm annoyed you'd probably just go, now. Oh, we've done arcs. Has to be the turn. It has to be the space. Yeah, bugs. I'm gonna because like I remember when you told told about them before. I'm like, oh, we're gonna need some bug spray, you know, with this war. But <laughs> I reckon giant bug zapper is the way to go. Uh, God's sake, Brian. <laughs> we gotta stop these questions. I always feel stupid. I'm always like, I'm always like. Ah, well, I, I knew that, actually. <laughs> that's why I'm still a noob trying to learn about the Warhammer that, universe. That's it. It's just being put on the spot makes all knowledge leave your brain. Yes. I've actually seen a nice quote with, like in school with a guy, right, who got a question he had to answer in front of the whole class, right? And he's just like, hold on. I'm not stupid. I'm just panicking, <laughs> you know? And everybody felt that. <laughs> that's very and accurate. That's, that's how I feel. Like when I get on the spot, all knowledge just goes out the window, and I'm like, "Well, shit." <laughs> Do you ever get that with like just normal everyday conversation? Someone's like, "Oh, so what's your favorite movie?" And your brain is just like, "I have never seen a movie before." <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. I get that. I've tried that. Like for me, it gets really bad sometimes. It's like people can ask me how old I am, and I'm like, "Wait, wait, hold on. Oh, oh, wait, 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 how old am I?" Don't know you're asking me. Hold on. Let me get my. Ab- <laughs> I'm not 12 years anymore. Like, that's. I don't know, what year is it? <laughs> like, what year is it? But I yeah. might be 10, I might be 42. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe some way in between, but you know. Right. So, on to the topic at hand. Yes. So, this turned into much more than I expected it to be because I didn't realize that two of these events were linked until I actually came to, like, trying to write it down. Yeah. Um, well, three of these events, actually. Uh, but one of them is is uh, an issue for another day. But we will discuss that at the end. So, yeah. as I usually do with these now, we're going to start with like the origin of this group first. Right? Yeah. And to say that we know the origin of the Terranid race would be an outright lie. <laughs> okay. But as with most things in 40k, we only have humanity's side of the story. Of course. Yeah. And humanity's side of the story really begins around year 9 of millennia 31. So this is year 31,009 mm-hmm. on a planet called Sotha. And out of curiosity, do you remember what was going on with humanity in millennia 31, in the year 31,000? Uh, what's going on with humanity in that... In 30k. Uh, can you give me some hints of like events? 
Well, it's probably the biggest event we've talked about, to be honest with you. It's not, it's not the is it the heresy? Yeah, the heresy was going on at this time. Ah, right? okay. Yeah, that's right. Heresy was in full swing by this point. Uh, just to give yeah. you like a point of reference, so we're talking about year nine of Millennia Thirty One, right? In yeah. year fourteen of Millennia Thirty One is when uh, the siege of Terra occurs. So five years after what the time we're talking about is when Horus fights the Emperor. Oh. So yeah, we're really not far off. <laughs> yeah, that's that's close. Yeah, so we're talking about stuff that's going on right in the thick of it. Um hmm. right, we're going to we're going to jump earlier first though, just for a quick bit of prefacing for this planet. So, mm -hmm. during the Great Crusade, so when everyone was on the same team and humanity was just exploring and getting people on the same team and all that stuff. Um so before the heresy, uh the ultramarines had an exploratory fleet going out and they found the planet Asotha. So they set mm -hmm. up an agricultural colony, so farming and stuff like that, and, you know, that kind of usual civilization-y stuff. But they yeah. also found this weird ancient relic of crazy technology that no one knew what the hell it was or what it did inside a mountain. Uh, so they also set up an archaeological team and a xenoculturist teams. And then they mm -hmm. left one company of ultramarines there to protect the place, right? And that was it. Yeah. Left it be. And once the heresy kicked off properly, um, Gilliman, uh, Rebute Gilliman, Primarch of Ultramarines, was like, right, we need someone to look into this thing properly. We need, like, you know, someone in charge, basically, on this planet. So he mm -hmm. set a guy called Warsmith Barbus Dantioch, so he was a Iron Warriors uh, legionnaire, I guess. He was an Iron Warriors uh, marine, and he set him in charge of this place to oversee the relic and to research mm -hmm. it and stuff like that. Um, now, as you may remember, the Iron Warriors are a traitor legion, but not every troop from every traitor legion turned traitor, and the the only four legions that actually purged all of their traitorous troops were the ones that were on Istavan. Remember when Horus nuked the planet, or he virus-bombed the planet with all the yeah. all the good guys on it, right? That was purging the legions of all their existing loyalist troops, so that they didn't have anyone, like, infighting when they came to, like, the big battles. Mm -hmm. um, but a few of the legions weren't involved in that, so guys like the Iron Warrior still had loyalist troops in the field, even though they were a traitor legion. So... This guy was one of, uh, uh, sorry, Barbus, uh, Barabus Dantioch, sorry, the warsmith, was one of the Iron Warriors, but he was a loyalist. So he was put in charge of this planet, or at least in charge of overseeing the relic. Now, as you remember, during the heresy, Horus realized he couldn't turn all of his brothers to his cause. So he realized he had to isolate a bunch of the loyalists so that they couldn't defend Terra. Right? Mm -hmm. And this was really, as I said, it's really in the run-up to him attacking the Emperor. So he was like, right, we need to do this now. People need to start getting separated now. We don't mm -hmm. have time to fuck around. So, one of the ways they did with this was, uh, you know, Lorgar of the Word Bearers. You know, the first one, the one that turned Horus evil. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, his, like, second-in-commandy guy, Erebus, who was actually the one that did the crazy ritual on Horus to turn him evil. Um, mm -hmm. He caused this gigantic storm in the warp, 
and it's called the Ruin Storm because it was absurd in size, and it basically blocked out the light of the Astronomicon, which is the light in the warp caused by the Emperor's Throne. Mm-hmm. And that's how everyone navigates in the warp. They use this thing as like a guiding light. But this yes. gigantic warp storm blocked it out. So, it, one, the storm made it really difficult and dangerous to travel in the warp. But two, anyone that wasn't even near the warp storm still couldn't see where they were going because they didn't have a point to navigate from. Mm-hmm. So it meant that the loyalists basically couldn't use the warp without just making blind jumps, which makes it very difficult to do anything strategically. So when you're in a universe-wide <laughs> war, that is a really, really big issue. That's a bad situation. Yeah. But yeah, I, I remember we talked about this, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think I called the, the Empress uh, like a beacon or something. Yes. The beacon uh, of light. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. <laughs> um, so there was a bunch of stuff came from this, right? So we're going to give you a bit of like secondary storyline for the heresy here, just while we're around the topic. Mm-hmm. Um, so due to, you know, Earth being blocked out by this, uh, Gilliman actually thought that Terra had been lost. Or that it was going to be. So he thought the Emperor was going to die. He thought Horus was going to win. right? Mm-hmm. And as we know about our boy Gilliman, he has a backup plan for everything. And then 17 backup plans for those backup plans. And so on and so forth. You know what his backup plan for the Emperor dying and Terra being lost was? No. Well, Start a new empire. <laughs> well, let's just start over. Yeah, that, that was it. It was, look, humanity has to survive one way or another. We need an an Imperium to be, like, to exist. If the Emperor loses, he would want us to carry on. That's the whole point of his sons. And Gilliman was like, we need to do this. And interestingly, Gilliman's realm is quite distant from Terra, so it was relatively safe from the warp storms to a degree. Uh, Mm -hmm. But also Gilliman's realm is huge. So the realm of Ultramar, and Ultramar is his home planet, Right. The realm that it surrounds it is made up of 500 planets, which is an absurd amount compared to most other places. Mm-hmm. So that being a safe zone, fully protected by the ultramarines and everything like that, is a great place to have as a base. So yeah. currently in 40k, with, Gil- with the return of Gilliman, he sets out, as we've mentioned, to retake all of Ultramar so that he can use it as a staging ground to go retake the rest of the Empire. It's because 500 worlds is a great amount to be able to, one, protect with a legion, which is obviously very doable, um, Mm -hmm. but also it's enough that you can produce food and units, like normal guardsmen and everything like that, at a massive scale, enough to actually fight a war. Yeah, it's a good place to rebuild and, like, retreat and rebuild. That's exactly it, yes. So, uh, seeing that... You know, his realm was a perfect place for that. He set in this plan thinking that the Imperium was lost, or was going to be shortly at least, which yeah. was Imperium Secundus, essentially the Second Empire. Uh, and obviously, again, it was based out of Ultramar, the 500 worlds. And yeah. during this time, uh, because they had the huge issue with no one can see where the fuck they're going in the warp, but people still had to use it. Like, if you're, I don't know, a random Blood Angels uh, squad of troops on your flagship, and then you get attacked out of nowhere by the crazy traitor bastards of some random (laughs) legion, 
you don't really have much choice if you can't outgun them other than to escape. And the best yeah. way to do that is a jump into the warp because then they don't know where you were going to come out. But you had to make a blind jump now, so you didn't know where you were coming out either. For all you know, you're going to come out in a star or in a planet. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> that's high risk, high reward. That's, that, it like that's that. exactly <laughs> it. So there was a lot of that kind of stuff going on. But at this point, Dantioch, the guy who was looking over the relic on Sothis, uh, mm-hmm. activated the relic, which was a beacon. Uh, he had been researching it for a long time at this point and discovered it was a beacon of some ancient technology. So he activated ah. it. Uh, it was a beacon known as the Pharos, by the way. Um, yeah. And the beacon actually permeates the warp. So it allowed people to uh, like flock to it and use it as a guide. So, yeah. But unfortunately, it's within the realm of Ultramar. So people just started flock, like loyalists just started flocking to it because they were like, what better choice do we have? And <laughs> it allowed a lot of uh, loyalist troops to gather in Ultramar, which was a huge advantage because it meant mm-hmm. that they weren't just blindly floating through space anymore or trying to figure things out with no guide. So you ended up with, uh, with obviously, you had Rebooted Gilliman, who is in Ultramark, it's his worlds. Lionel mm. Johnson, the Primarch of the Dark Angels, was able to turn up out of nowhere. Uh, Vulcan's comatose body turned up with a bunch of salamanders and a bunch of uh, loyalist troops from basically every loyalist legion just ended up there because they had this beacon to follow. Um, and funnily enough, right, because they were starting a second Imperium, they needed someone to be in charge. And Gilliman was like, look, I'm not going to be like Horace. I don't want to be in charge of the Imperium. I'm not the guy for the job. <laughs> Way uh, too much pressure. <laughs> that's exactly it. He's like, look, I'm not the man, right? I want to keep this thing going, but I'm not the one to lead it, <laughs> right? I'll happily be your advisor. I'll organize literally everything down to the time you eat at if you want, but I'm not going to be the one in charge. That is not a good loop. Because the thing is, that's the worst part of it, is that Horus decided he was going to be in charge. I'll just kill the Emperor. And then this guy starts a second empire to any outsider that hasn't had an actual conversation with him. It would look a lot like he's just went, well, Horus is going to kill the Emperor rather than (laughs) killing Horus and taking over. I'll just make a new one and take over. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> then I'll look like a benevolent ruler rather than a murderous ruler. Yes. <laughs> right? So it was like, look, I don't want to look like that, and that's not what this is, so we're not doing that. So he tried to get Lionel Johnson to take the take the crown, who also refused. Uh, and do you want to know who ends up with the throne? Who ends up being the emperor of Imperium Secundus? Oh, let me know. Come on. Sanguinius! Because he's the Wait, best what? guy! Hey, he's like, you know what? I got you, bro. Let me just handle that. No, no, he was very <laughs> against it, but basically everyone was like, dude, you're, you're the only one that everyone actually likes, and no really? one would immediately assume was being traitorous. Ah, I thought but, it would be like, you know, he was just like, you know what? I'll take that on my shoulder, but I mean, it's a big, some big shoes to fill, so... Yeah, it was a bit like that. He, he took it begrudgingly. It, it was a very reluctant acceptance of the role, but it was very huh. much of a no one else is going to do it. Someone has to do it. I'll be the one. But he also well, had like public favor on his side because everyone loves Sanguinius. 
So no I mean, one yeah. was going to hear he was in charge and go, traitorous bastard. Just Horace Jr., didn't he? <laughs> Everyone would be like, oh, wow, that's so good of him. <laughs> so huh. taking on that responsibility to keep us going, to keep the torch burning. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I wouldn't actually have guessed that if, if you said... Yeah, it doesn't sound like him, taking it. which is, I suppose, exactly like why him. he took it. Ah, well, good for him. <laughs> yeah. Right, that was a good excuse to tell you about an interesting side detail that we will get into more later. Oh. But it's unrelated to the storyline, to a degree. Anyway, we're going back to Sotha, because that's where our yes. story sits, right? Yes. So... Unfortunately, the Loyalists didn't know that Sotha was actually like a regrouping point for the Night Lords, who were, you know, a terrorist traitor legion. They actually are terrorists, by the way. If you ever look, we will look into the Night Lords at some point when we get to the traitor legions. And genuinely, their their war tactics are just terrorism. They, they are the worst. They're worse than half the Chaos troops. Like, you thought Nurgle was bad. Wait till you hear what the, these guys date a civilian populace. You, you thought people furniture was bad. These I guys mean, Ryan, are the worst. Don't torment my brain more than you did last week. I still am not over, like... Look, you've got a yeah. while before we get to these guys. It'll be fine. Uh, Thank you. And we'll try to go light on the people furniture when we talk about the Drukhari in this season. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Because my brain is still rotting and decaying yeah. from last time. Nurgle has that effect on that. people. Yes. Um, so, yeah, Loyalists didn't know that Sotha was a uh, was a regrouping point for the Night Angels. Uh, for, sorry, yeah. for the Night Lords, not Dark Angels. Um, and after the Dark Angels kicked the Night Lords' asses in a battle called the Thramus Crusade, um, a bunch of the Night Lords turned up at Sotha to try and like regroup and it basically just started a war for the planet no yeah uh <laughs> during which uh the night lords uh got in a, a battle with 199 uh, company of ultramarines which i believe are the agedis agedis company i can't remember the actual the pronunciation for it um but it managed to run that company down to just a hundred marines left um and they also got into like a full scale war over a major city called, uh, oh, oh, what is the right way to pronounce it? It's a weird one. It's uh, Sotha Sothopolis. Sothopolis. It's it's Sotha, but polis because it's polis is the word for city. Sothopolis. Ah, it's like Sothopolis. <laughs> Sothopolis. It's a weird one. It's a weird one to try and try and get your mouth around. Uh, yeah. Much like Danish, you got to say it with a potato in your mouth. Hey, I mean, they're true. It's true, but hey, yeah. I take offense of that. But that's good. Not you really. told me that. <laughs> I, yes, I did. You don't get to be offended about things you said. <laughs> I get to say you don't, right? Oh, the one uh, okay, uh, fair enough. It's, it's all honesty. I don't, I don't really care. <laughs> I reckon the Scotch <laughs> can do that with most like profanity. You swear it's Scottish. Like, oh, yeah, it's our word. <laughs> I don't know if we invented it, but we said it the most. That's for damn sure. <laughs> Uh, so eventually the the Night Lords came at a point after or during sacking cities and murdering space marines and stuff like that that they decided they were going to go after the relic, the beacon inside Mount uh, Pharos it's inside a mountain mm -hmm. by the way don't know why, Yeah, <laughs> but it is um, and they attacked the mountain which at this point contained Dantioch's small contingent of guards and 
a bunch of like people that had fled the city that they had been attacking. So he didn't mm. have a lot of people to defend it with. What the uh, Night Lords didn't realise was that Dantioch had been protecting this mountain for quite a while. He'd been defending it and, uh, and building defences and researching this uh, relic for quite mm -hmm. a while. And if we know anything about Iron Warriors, it's that they are masters of siege warfare. So they're not the kind of people you really want to, you know, try and break into their stronghold. No, it's like Home Alone. That's exactly it, but with guns instead. <laughs> yes, so, fatality. So Dantioc just kept tricking them into, like, walking into traps and murdering tons of them. <laughs> Again, like Home Alone. But, exactly, you know, yeah. A brutal version. Yeah. Uh, so that was quite fun. It, it really is the home, uh, the 40k answer to Home Alone. Um, <laughs> the 40k Home Alone edition. Just dandy ox and they were in his crazy <laughs> armor with a million turrets around him. Just like, you can't get me. Runs away, they follow him and die. <laughs> follow him, turn a corner and get hit by a nuke. <laughs> Haha! <laughs> -ha. Rather than slightly burning their hand or tripping them downstairs, he drops them into like a forty-foot pitfall onto spikes. <laughs> I feel like there's a movie here to be made. Oh, absolutely! Point. I'm waiting for forty k movies to hit the big screens. That's going to be a thing soon. We've got a D and D movie coming out. It's going to be forty k, or it's going to be Warhammer next. I'm sure. If we get a Warhammer, Warhammer, uh, <laughs> a Warhammer 40k movie or something like that, Brian. Right, I, I will go to Scotland and watch it. With oh, you. that would be awesome. I would love that. That would be incredible. Bring your missus. We can yeah. do it. We can, we can get the whole thing going. Yeah, she want to go to Scotland and visit anyway. So ah, let's do it. We've got a spare room. Yeah. You can stay with us. It'd be great. Hell yeah. Right. Anyway, back to the topic at hand. We need, we've got to talk about space bugs here. We're not even at the space <laughs> bugs yet. Jesus. Um, right. So the survivors that were inside the mountain obviously had a huge advantage because all the Danny Ox trapped and shit like that. Uh, yeah. But because they were being sieged and it wasn't exactly a fortress, um, they were going to lose at some point because there was like Night Lord's fleets above the planet and stuff like that. The planet was going to fall eventually, right? So okay. uh, Dantioch called for reinforcements and he was told to contact the Ultramarine Nova company that were in a nearby system. So he contacts them and they send reinforcements. And they get attacked along the way and have to do like an emergency warp jump, like out into real space out of the warp, which fucks mm. up a bunch of their ships. One of them, the reactor goes critical and blows up, stuff like that. But because they come out of the warp so quickly, they're moving at incredible speeds and they manage to like kind of surprise the Night Lord's fleet above the planet and bomb the crap out of them. So they have like a huge advantage because of the bad luck they had at the start of it. The issue with this is that Dantioc didn't know reinforcements were only a few hours away because they were already attacking the fleet above the planet and stuff like that. They were going to turn yeah. up in a few hours and save him. But he didn't know that. He just knew he had called for reinforcements and he's not heard anything. So uh, he, in like a last-ditch attempt, overloaded the Pharos beacon which killed most of the Night Lords that were nearby, disabled the majority of their ship systems above the planet, and overloaded most of the power armor on the planet, basically meaning every Space Marine on the planet either died or their armor turned off and they could barely move. 
So they were just easy cleanup for the for the reinforcements that turned up, and they just kind of yeah. swept the planet clean pretty easily. Dantioch did die during this, unfortunately, as far as I'm aware. Mm. Uh, after this, the 199th uh, Egida Company, the space marines that were there, were awarded an emblem of two cross sides uh, for their work defending the planet, and uh, they were left as a permanent guard for the planet. And Dantioch was heralded as a hero for his work as the first warden of the Pharos Beacon. Uh, oh. And then Gilliman left a guy called uh, Overdie on Sotha as the new warden of the Pharos, which is quite cool. Um, now, this was a very small battle. It had very little significance other than the Pharos being the guiding light used by the loyalists away from Terra. But the battle itself didn't really do much in the grand scheme of the heresy. You know, it's not one of the major events of it, really. The problem is, it has some quite large uh, consequences away from all of that. <laughs> because oh. when the beacon overloaded, something saw the over something saw the pulse from it. Something saw the overload. So, from another galaxy, not even within the Milky Way, a whole other galaxy, the Tyranid hives, or hive swarms, saw this happen, and they set out to come and see what was going on. It called to yeah. them. <laughs> so, when that occurred during the heresy, the pulse it sent out alerted the Terranids from another galaxy that they had to come oh. and see what was going on. And they all just started making their way over. Great! Find the fox spray. <laughs> yeah! Problem is, we didn't know. So that's not great. So, from another galaxy come the Terranids, a hive of swarming space bugs. I love calling them space bugs. Space bugs that turned up from another universe, and they were basically set to devour everything in their path. And mm. when they do this, they attack a planet... They strip all the biomass from the planet, melt it in pools of acid, and feed it back to their hive fleet uh, so it can be repurposed into new Terranids. Oh, God. It is horrendous. Yeah. Yeah. So, in the year 741 of the 41st millennia, uh, so mm -hmm. 10,000 years after the whole thing with, thing with Sotha, um, the Mechanicus, on a planet called Terran or Tyran, however you all pronounce it, uh, they were, it was a research division of the Mechanicus on this planet. And it was, a, it was like a proper far-out, middle-of-nowhere planet right on the edges of our universe. And it's just a research division. They started to notice planets that had suddenly lost uh, biomass and atmosphere. And they were like, huh, that's weird. And then the next thing, a massive swarm of space bugs descends from the sky and oh, does no. the exact same thing to their planet. Oh, no. Their planet was predominantly... It was like 80% water. So, you know, there wasn't a lot to, to defend. <laughs> but they got no, wiped but... the hell out. And then they they even drink all the water. The planet was left as just like a barren rock. What? Yeah, they, they drink all the water. Water is, is biomass. Oh, God. Yeah. So they just... That's bad. Yeah, they sweep the planet of literally everything that isn't just pure mineral. And then they just feed it back to their hive fleet so it can be reconstituted into new bugs. Yeah. It's crazy. That's just, that's actually bad. Like, they don't just ruin your day, they just ruin your future. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Aye. That's exactly it. Um, 
so they were, or the planet was later rediscovered by Lord Inquisitor Fidus Cryptman, the guy from the start in the quote. Yeah. Uh, so the the new Xenos were titled after the planet Terran, so they were called Terranids. Because that was the first planet mm. that they were documented as having destroyed. Um, yeah. So then in 745 of Millennia 41, so four years later, after Turin was wiped out, uh, McCrag saw the first hive fleet, so the first major fleet of the Terranids. So McCrag is obviously the ultramarine homeworld. And yeah. it was Hive Fleet Behemoth. They all have really cool names, by the way. Um, and it, luckily, it was largely defeated in the Battle of McCrag. So when they finally attacked the actual homeworld of Ultramar, uh, luckily the Ultramarines were able to properly fuck up the space bugs, which is really lucky. And that marked that battle marked the end of the first Tyrannic War. There have since been two other Tyrannic Wars where other Hive Fleets have turned up and started ransacking planets and then eventually been, for lack of a better word, repulsed. They're never fully wiped out because of how many there are, but they usually get rid of them to some degree. The first one, the Ultramarines actually did manage to mostly kill them, which is great. So for the time being, Hive Fleet Behemoth was basically like not really worth worrying about. Which is lucky. Um, but the rest of them, they kind of just get them to fuck off in another direction for a while <laughs> after killing a lot of them. Um, so then we skip forward about 250 years to 992 uh, Millennia 41. Uh, Hive Fleet Kraken uh, arrived and was causing shit, which was the second Tyrannic War. Uh, the Eldar were involved in that one, which was fun. Uh the high fleets actually there's a there's a lot of them and they've turned up in a bunch of different places and caused a bunch of different issues uh, mm -hmm. but they don't only attack humanity there's like a high fleet that has singularly attacked the tau predominantly there's ones that have predominantly came in contact with eldar and stuff like that there's one that fought orcs i would love to see that battle like <laughs> it doesn't matter what kind of space bug you throw at an orc it's just gonna throw more orcs at it and they have almost <laughs> endless numbers on both sides. So it'd be incredible. I feel like there's two ways that we deal with the Tyranids in the end. And it's either yeah. the Necrons step up and kill them, or the Orcs are just pointed in their general direction. <laughs> just like, throw snuttlings at them. Yeah, like I'm waiting for like an Orc <laughs> war boss to turn up who, rather than trying to kill humanity, is trying to kill a Tyranid hive fleet. Because that would be really interesting to watch. Just a giant orc wah going after a Terranid hive fleet. <laughs> like, orcs don't have spaceships. They just use meteors and stuff to get around. <laughs> well, they, they have very slapdash me uh, meteor-based spaceships. Which yeah. would be hilarious to see them crash that into <laughs> a Terranid hive ship and then just start gunning down space bugs. I feel like there's a movie again. Again, there's a movie here to be made. Would be cool. <laughs> yeah. Right. We gotta get into VFX. Uh, we we do. We could do so much with it. We could do so much. Yeah. Uh, I feel like we should look into that. Actually, <laughs> we need a VFX budget for this. Once this, like, <laughs> once we start making money off Patreon, uh, I feel like that's where some of the money goes. A VFX budget. 
I mean, I've been looking into doing stuff in, in Unreal Engine with mocap so that, like, oh, you know, let's do it. That'd be amazing. We could control 3D characters with our own movement, right? We could, like, do a fight sequence and explosions and everything. That'd like, be awesome. Right. We need to look yeah. at that down the line. Uh, so, the largest Hive fleet yet to be seen was Hive Fleet Leviathan. As I told you, they have very cool names. Uh, yeah. Which it assaulted Baal, which is the Blood Angels homeworld. Uh, in 997 M41, so right at the end of the 41st millennia. Yeah. Uh, luckily, due to the formation of the Great Rift, you know, uh, the fall of Cadia, where the Eye of Terror turned into a big tear across the middle of the galaxy. Yes. That Great Rift uh, separated a bunch of the fleet from itself. So luckily, it wasn't the entirety of High Fleet Leviathan that attacked Baal, because otherwise it would have been wiped out. But thanks to the Blood Angels and Chapter Master Dante, they were able to fight off the Tyranids. And it is now known as The Devastation of Baal. It's actually a book. There's a whole book called The Devastation of Baal, which is just Tyranids turn up at Baal and Dante and his dudes kick their asses. Or get their asses kicked. It's kind of goes both ways, bit by bit. It says it, the battle really goes back and forth quite a lot in that sense. Yeah. Um, and that was part of the Third Tyrannic War. The the there's a set of books about the Blood Angels that are set in 40k, so after Gilliman's back and all that stuff. And mm. uh, it it features predominantly around Chapter Master Dante. So it's there's a book just called Dante, which is his kind of becoming chapter master and how he became a blood angel and all that which involves the Tyranids. then there's devastation of baal which also in involves the Tyranids. <laughs> and then there's darkness in the blood which is it's predominantly about the the whole primaris thing with those guys turning up amongst the blood angels and stuff like that it's quite cool it involves like their lead um psyker quite a lot it's a very mm -hmm. cool storyline. We will get into their storyline in Season 3 when we're doing Space Marine chapters. We're going to oh. be able to look at Dante as the chapter master in his whole storyline and the chief psyker of their lead, uh, of their chapter because he has a really cool storyline too, uh, which will be very cool. We will get into that properly in Season 3 as an individual topic. Yeah. Uh, so as far as physiology kind of stuff for, these uh, for the Terranids goes... Their biology is quite a difficult one to talk about because it's constantly evolving at an incredible rate, which is, you know, their mm -hmm. whole gimmick. They adapt to literally anything. Yeah. Uh, the reality is we will likely never see every type of Tyranid in the galaxy because there's an endless number of them. They just change them all the time. Um, yeah, depending on the, the environment that they're in. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Depending on what they, that fleet has eaten lately and stuff like that. Yeah. So... Interestingly, everything they have is biological. They don't have anything that's technology. They use biotech. Uh, they don't use mechanical stuff or electrical stuff. It's all biological, including their guns. Oh. Yeah, every weapon and projectile that they use is made of biomass gathered from previous invasions, which is but fun. How? What? <laughs> but how? <laughs> Well, for example, uh, there's a really common uh, weapon they use called a flesh borer, right? Uh, and yeah. the ammunition they use are flesh borer beetles. And it is literally a beetle that will dig through flesh and tear it apart, right? It's quite mm. a simple concept. 
but the gun that they're fired from is also a living organism, which acts as like an incubator for the beetles. So the beetles are like spawned and born inside the gun. And then they oh, stay God. there until, you know, they need to be unleashed. And then they are like launched from the weapon. As yeah. So it's all living organisms. <laughs> it's kind of cool, but kind of disgusting. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically the Tyranids as a whole. Uh, and one of the reasons they are such a terrible thing to fight is because, one, they have insane numbers, and two, they can adapt to literally any situation. So yeah. think of it like, I don't know, you're like, all right, they've got really big bugs. Bring out the gigantic guns. All right, they'll just adapt to have better armor. <laughs> like, all right, well, they've got better chitinous armor. Okay, let's bring out the melt-a-guns and just melt the bastards. All right, they'll become resistant to heat. <laughs> like, Alright, like, fuck it, poison We'll use poison, oh, they'll become immune Yeah, it's like cockroaches They can survive a nuke attack, they're just like, nah Yeah, that's it, <laughs> I got nah, this. I'm good <laughs> I'm good, I'm, I'm fine, I can, I can adapt to this <laughs> Yeah, it's it's quite a quite a problem to fight them uh, And Interestingly, they communicate with a hive mind They don't, they don't mm-hmm. communicate normally They communicate with a hive mind um, so they have creatures called synapse creatures. So some of the her- uh, Terranids, some of the bigger ones, stuff like that, have like a node inside them that acts as like a relay point for the hive mind. And it allows the hive mind to communicate with the smaller troops among them that don't have this synapse thing inside them. Uh, so if you kill off the synapse creature in a group, the rest of them can kind of become quite disorganized and like directionless. So yeah. it's a good thing to know, it's a good tactic, but it doesn't always work because there's usually a lot of the synapse creatures around, so usually another one just kind of takes over. But it's good to know, if you can kill off the synapse creatures, they do become quite easy to fight compared to usual. Yeah. Uh, but the hive mind has an interesting effect. So when an entire swarm descends on a planet, they cause a thing called shadow in the warp, which blocks out the warp. So, so for example, if you're on a planet and then suddenly a hive fleet turns up out of nowhere and starts invading, their hive yeah. mind disrupts warp communication, so you can't call for reinforcements. Oh, God. Yeah, but you also would have a very hard time making a warp jump or anything like that if you were surrounded by them. Yeah. So it makes fighting them even harder for, for humanity and stuff like that. <laughs> They are an absolute menace to fight. And because of what they are, they can't be reasoned with and they can't be surrendered to. So when you're faced with Tyranids, you have literally two options. Kill or be killed. Wait, but but like with the Tyranids, like you said, they come in numbers. We're not talking like the thousand, we're talking about the millions, right? We're possibly talking about billions. Bill? Okay, well, yeah, you're screwed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's exactly it. It's, It's a whole thing. (laughs) <laughs> you genuinely have very little chance of winning a battle against Tyranids. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to go on to talking about some of the Hive Fleets a little bit. I'm just, it's a very quick run through of a few of them. Uh, yeah. So interestingly, every Hive Fleet seems to specialize in one thing, but it's it's odd because when you try to research it, the... In the books, it's not really mentioned. You could probably decipher it from listening, to, uh, from like reading or listening to books that are about different battles that had different high fleets in them, and kind of 
deciphering what they're about. But if you try to look it up, what you'll actually find is the smaller hive fleets, you will get a very clear explanation as to what their speciality is. But if you look mm. up the bigger ones, you just get information about what they've been, like the battles they've been involved in and stuff like that. <laughs> because the speciality is reflected predominantly in the game, the tabletop. Because if you play as different high fleets, you get different advantages on the on the battlefield. Yeah. But in terms of just lore-wise, it's not something that's like concisely explained, really. So this is going to be quite uh, quite notable as to which ones are smaller fleets and which ones aren't, as I explained these. <laughs> um, so High Fleet Ouroboros, uh, they were the first one found, but it wasn't really documented as like a new Xenos race or anything like that. It was just kind of, it turned up around Millennia 36, and it wasn't yes. really a huge issue. I think the Eldar predominantly dealed with them. Uh and humanity didn't really notice it as like as what it was, as big a thing as it is. So it wasn't really noted properly or anything like that. It kind of just fell by the wayside. Uh, but they tend towards airborne uh, units. So they, they tend to use flying units more than anything else. Uh, enough to black out the sun, mind you. Um, and they just... <laughs> interestingly, they devour the eyes and ears of their enemies to cause panic. Which oh, is understandable. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the two most important senses that you need. Yeah! Uh, which it just makes like troops you really easy to pick off if they panic like that. Uh, apparently, I mean, obviously, yeah. Yeah, apparently the only troops they've ever fought that were immune to it were the orcs, because orcs really don't have any coordination anyway. <laughs> <laughs> they don't give a but shit. You can tear their eyes out, they'll just keep swinging. <laughs> like, humans will like crumple to the ground and scream and stuff and not shoot anymore now orcs will just fire blindly vaguely into the sky something's gonna die yeah I don't know if my, if my own troops but you know something's gonna orcs die orcs don't care as long as something dies yeah. it's like, orcs just lying there on the ground like half torn apart firing blindly at the sky and just feels itself grow slightly it's like oh I killed something cool <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that's right they grow every time yeah yeah um then we've got high fleet behemoth these were the ones that they were like the first ones properly encountered the ones that attacked mccrag and were totally effed up by the ultramarines because mm -hmm. fuck you guys uh then high fleet kraken were the second major fleet encountered uh the so th this was the ones that were involved in the second tyrannic war predominantly mm -hmm. dealt with by the eldar luckily um then High Fleet Gorgon, they arrived in the galaxy and invaded a bunch of the Tau homeworlds. Uh, they were eventually fought off by the Tau and the Imperial Guard working together, which is interesting. <laughs> Usually that doesn't happen. Um, these guys, like High Fleet Gorgon, are the, the ones that have the highest adaptability rate. They adapt in like seconds to new environments compared to everyone else. Oh. So they are an absolute bastard to fight. I could imagine. Yeah. Uh, High Fleet Leviathan are by far the largest fleet. Luck they were the ones that attacked Baal. Luckily, they were kind of separated by the giant hole in the galaxy. Um, yeah. yeah, they were only defeated through the determination of the Blood Angels, Chapter Master Dante, and a small uh, intervention by Sanguinius himself, who has been dead for a long time by this point. 
They literally needed a dead guy to help them win that battle. <laughs> but how? Uh, we will get into it properly when we discuss Dante's storyline, but there is a point during the battle where Dante almost dies and is in like a weird kind of like out-of-body comatose state that space marines go into when their bodies get damaged heavily um, mm -hmm. so that it can like repair itself and keep them alive. They kind of hibernate a little bit. And while he's in that, a lot of them end up like wandering the warp in a weird way. And basically while he's in that state of like, oh, I'm going to die, fuck. And he's old as shit. Dante has been around for centuries, like for millennia. He just, he, he knows he's old and he just can't be bothered anymore. So he's, he kind of <laughs> is like, oh, thank God, I can finally die. And then Sanguinius appears before him and is just like, nope, go back in your body. And he's like, what? No, I, I did my part. And he's like, nope, got more for you to do. Get back in. <laughs> Sanguinius like pushes him back into his body and he's like, oh, God damn it. All right, let's go. It's, it's it's a whole thing. We'll 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 discuss it properly and in like real detail when we're covering Dante's storyline. But it's it's yeah. very funny. There's there's a bit like that where Dante appears before the head psyker as well in in the darkness and the blood, the following book to Devastation yeah. of Baal, which we'll also cover in his storyline. But the, uh, Sanguinius is is turning up again. I mean, I'm looking forward to that because. You, you know I like Sanguinius. And Everyone I know likes Sanguinius. And he was therefore dead. So uh, oh, he was very dead. <laughs> yeah, so I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the whole story about well, that. But yeah. just wait till we do the uh, the Rebooty Gilliman trilogy, the Plague Wars, because there's someone else that's back in play that's interesting as well. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh. Uh, very much. Not like, No, very much back in play only in the warp. But back in play is still an important thing to know. Um, hmm. Those two storylines are like side by side, two of the best sets of books I've ever read in my life. Oh. Like, I would argue that the Plague War books, there are some slow bits, but the Plague War books and the trilogy that are about Dante and the Blood Angels in 40k, like, they're both incredible. I would recommend them to anyone. Whether you give a shit about 40k or not, they are amazing. It's just good stories. Just great storylines, yeah. Honestly, just great. Because um, you get to see like Dante growing up as a kid and like his whole journey to becoming a blood angel. It's just great. Yeah. Uh, right, so we're going to go on to talk about some of the units that these guys use. And I want to make this clear. There are hundreds of different types of Tyranid. So we're not covering them all. We will get into them properly when we're on a, a season that we're talking about, like, aliens in more in more detail but we're gonna run over a few interesting ones at the moment and i have pictures for you uh if you if anyone wants to they can google them uh or i will provide links to a bunch of them on uh on the youtube video for this uh, for this yes. episode I'll, I'll find a way to get them up there somewhere if you look <laughs> in the descriptions you'll find them right i'll i'll make them available uh so the and first very, one, very soon well, oh, I'm sorry. No, it's just like it. very soon, very soon people will also be able to to see visuals on the Imperium, uh, um, Erase of the Imperium podcasts. So, yes, I'm we just are putting that up. We are going to be adding some visuals into this soon. Uh, we just yes. need we needed time to actually be able to sit and test stuff, which we haven't had because I've been working horrendous <laughs> shifts. Right. 
So the first one we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about something like the kind of leadery troops first. So the mm -hmm. first one we're going to talk about is the Norn Queen. So here is a picture of the miniature for it, which is horrendous. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like death. Yeah, it's basically death incarnate. Um, and these guys are... Or I don't say I don't know why I said guys. They literally have queen in the title, but they essentially are like a brood mother. They live in huge chambers on the like the hive ships of the hive fleets, and they yeah. give birth to all the other types of Terranids. They're like fed the biomass that the that the normal troops make from the planets, and they just use it to create new Terranids inside them. It's pretty mangan, but those are where all the variants of Tyranids come from. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then we have the Hive Tyrant, which is a gigantic, monstrous right. creature uh, with the typical six legs, and two of them are big scythes and have swords and whips and stuff otherwise. They're pretty disgusting, but they're gigantic and monstrous. Uh, I mean, yeah, it kind of looks like Freezer from Dragon Ball Z. Does a little bit third form. Yeah, yeah, third form Freezer. Yeah, kind of look like uh, the Xenomorphs from just the Alien movies. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, no, they're they're a pretty typical design for an alien, I guess, in in yeah. humanity sense. Uh, the difference with these guys from the normal Terranids is they are self-aware and extremely intelligent, so they are able to learn from their mistakes, which is. A really big issue. Uh, yeah. But they're also incredibly strong. They stand about three times the height of a human. Oh, God. Yeah. So I'm just like their, their legs. Yeah, if even. That's you might be me. able to punch it in the crotch if you jump. <laughs> if I jump. Great. Like, I want to see Vulcan dump tackle one of these. He has a thing for tackling gigantic monsters. I mean, he could. He could. He's, he's probably not far off his height. Yeah. Uh, Vulcan is like 14 feet tall so he, he could genuinely just body one of these things if he wanted to just need a good jump first <laughs> <laughs> uh, then we have the Turvagon which is quite a cool thing it's quite a large creature but it's more like it's bulky in the sense that it's uh, it, it's it's quite wide It's it contains other Terranids is the thing so it's quite large I mean but it's because it, it can open up to release other troops from inside it. Yeah, yeah it looks like a, a, if I were to explain it visually, a, a, a turnit tank. Yeah, that's essentially it. It's, it's like their version of an armored personnel carrier. Yeah. Yeah. These guys wander their ships looking for, um, looking for like invaders that have came onto their ships. And when it finds one, because it's a leadership troop, it has the hive mind side apps inside it, so it'll alert all the other Terranids on the ship to come and fuck up the intruders. But at the same time, it also just opens its belly and deploys all the troops inside it that will immediately start in, uh, attacking the invaders to buy time while the rest of them turn up to kill it. <laughs> it's very cool. Uh, so we're going to get on to some of the more rank-and-file troops now. We're going to start with Termagons, because those are the ones that are inside the Termagons' belly. Mm -hmm. uh, Termagons, again, most Terranids have six legs, so they look quite humanoid. They look bipedal, because they walk on two legs, but they do have four arms as well. Uh, they use yeah. guns, interestingly. 
I mean, I can see from the pictures, like the two of the legs or arms are less significant than the others. Yeah, I, I reckon they still claw you apart if you get near it, though. I think they're like scythe yeah. arms rather than like hand arms. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so individually, these guys are pretty weak, but they fight in really big numbers. So they're they're kind of like the uh, Terranid equivalent to human guardsmen. Yeah. Yeah. Like individually, not going to do much. With 500,000 of them, they'll probably kill most things. Yep. Yep. And in size, in terms of size, they look like a regular human. Yeah, they're honestly about a humanoid kind of size, which is good. Yeah. Uh, and the gun they typically use is the flesh borer that we mentioned earlier that, fly, that fires oh. the uh, flesh borer beetles. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> it's a pretty standard weapon for the Terranids, to be honest with you. They have a lot of weird ones, but we're not going to look into them right now. Uh, then we have the Terranid warriors, which are kind of your standard troops. They look like <laughs> a small version of the Hive Tyrant. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but they're kind of... They're essentially just scaled down because they're equally as powerful as you would expect a small Hive Tyrant to be. They'll still uh -huh. absolutely tear you apart. Uh, and they're also Synapse creatures, so those have the Hive Mind link for all the smaller creatures around them. Uh-huh. Which is cool. But again, they kind of make up a, a general infantry form, but like a stronger form than the Termagons. They're more of like an... Uh, I, I guess it's the equivalent of like, if a Termagon is the Tyranid equivalent of a Guardsman, a uh, Tyranid Warrior is the equivalent of a Space Marine. Oh. Yeah, that's. I guess that would be the way to talk about it. Uh, then we have Lictors which act as like scouts so they tend to oh yeah darts. they tend to run ahead of like the main swarm and look for prey for the swarm to descend on yeah interesting i'm thinking about the octopus vibes yeah they have like weird technically things going on it's quite strange um they have the like chameleon skin so they can change to look like their environment so they're like stealth specialists that tend to ambush stuff they're quite terrible uh, and then to cover one of the airborne troops, we have gargoyles, which are fun. Uh, these they can fly. <laughs> yeah, I honestly they they fly. That's their whole gimmick. They're flying troops. Uh, they're they are derived from the termagons, so they are smaller than most Terranids. They are one of the kind of smaller troops going on, and they are less powerful than most. So they also use large numbers to kind of do their job. So a huge mm -hmm. swarm of them will turn up, descend on you, and just claw you a bits. And shoot! Is that that's not is that a gun? Yeah, that they also use the flesh borer rifle that the Termagants use. Oh god! Yeah, they're fun. If uh, you see that, that's death from above. That's that's honestly it. They are like a swarm of locusts. Um, so there are hundreds of Terranid troops, and if we try to go through them all, we will be here all week. So we will <laughs> dig deeper into these later when we're doing deep dives on some of the Xenophrases. Yeah. And unfortunately, there aren't really notable characters for the Terranids, because they don't have personalities. No, they're just the same, but like in massive numbers. Yeah. Uh, so I did find like a notable event I wanted to mention. Uh, which is about Fidus Cryptman, <laughs> the Inquisitor from the start, from the quote. Mm. Um, so this guy was obviously one of the main guys involved in fighting the Tyranids. And 
there's a point where I, f I found like a line about him that I really liked, which is, Cryptman later authorized the largest single act of genocide the Imperium has ever inflicted on itself by abandoning or destroying all the worlds in High Fleet Leviathan's path. Uh, he was later issued a Carta Extermis for his actions by the Inquisition and was stripped of his titles. <laughs> so Inquisitor Cryptman is one of these guys that everyone's like, he's tied to the Tyranids so heavily, but is predominantly known for the fact that when he realized they weren't going to kill the Tyranids in a fight, he just started uh, like virus bombing and incinerating planets in their path so that they would lose interest because there wouldn't be any biomass for them to eat and they would just turn no. a different direction and go away. <laughs> It's kind of smart when you think about it. <laughs> it is, but he also killed billions upon billions of humans. I mean, it, it it's like bad or worse, you know? Kind of a death, yeah, if you ask me. I guess. Like, I'd rather be incinerated in 0.3 of a second than I would be torn apart by thousands of tiny bugs. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a bad day anyways, but, you know. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, I suppose. You know, I feel like they should have a thing organized for in the Imperium. I feel what? like they should organize, like, a protective dome they can put over a small area. Just, like, dome in a city and all the farming area around it. And then just incinerate the rest of the planet. Because I don't think the Terranids I mean, are going to attack to get, like, a million people in some grass. Simpsons did it. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but, like... Uh, yeah, I genuinely don't think Terranid High Fleets would bother going after, like, one city of a million humans and no. some, like, grassland. But, like, like surely the, the, the dome you're talking about could, like, block out all, like, sense of life inside of the well, dome yeah, Well, yeah, potentially, yes. I, I reckon there's technology that you could use to protect a, a like, civilian center from being destroyed by Terranids. But would well, allow might... you to wipe out enough of the rest of the planet to make them not care. But like, I I might go out on a limb here and say there should be technology at that point uh, in this time and age we were in, where they should be able to make like a force field around the whole planet that blocks out all you know sense of life inside of it. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I reckon that they probably could do something like that or at the very least that's going to be a direction that we end up going with it but i think yeah. that storyline wise it would make it quite dull because it would kind of nullify them as a threat very quickly <laughs> I mean, yeah. so i doubt they'll yeah. actually do it <laughs> i potentially i think that someone like uh, belisarius call might come up with something like that but it would probably be on like a smaller scale, something that would like stop Terranids from noticing like a squad if one of their guys was carrying this or something like that. I doubt they'll yeah. ever do it on like that large a scale because were they able to deploy it, it would just make the Terranids like out of the storyline basically. They would just fuck yeah. off to a different galaxy or they would purely attack aliens, which would just wipe out the aliens. <laughs> Or they would adapt towards it so they can sense life beyond that. They would probably oh. just... It's, it's like uh, in Dungeons & Dragons, there's a thing called Locate Object, uh, a spell that you can cast, and it can locate any object other than ones that are in like a lead-lined box or something like that. 
and mm. then people learned that you could just use it to locate lead-lined boxes to find really rare stuff <laughs> you were hide. <laughs> so I reckon um, they would just learn to search for the thing that protects the stuff. Yeah. I mean, that could be an option too, Ryan. The, 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 the party never ends. Yeah, they would just adapt around anything. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that the way the Tyranids will end up being dealt with predominantly is either going to be the Necrons coming back from their uh, from their tomb worlds or it'll be the Orcs. I, I would reckon t- uh, Necrons more likely than Orcs because the Necrons got their storyline rewritten so that they weren't kind of... Initially, they were kind of like zombies. They didn't really have much personality and stuff, and they worked in a very similar way to the Terranids, where they were quite mm-hmm. mindless and just destroyed and killed, mm-hmm. whereas now they actually have like a proper storyline and stuff. They were rewritten in one of the editions, and since then they've had like an actual storyline with proper personality behind it and stuff like that, and actual yeah. goals of their own and motivations of their and own. And I like that. Yeah, like that it's much better. Because... Yeah, otherwise it would just be, you know, a different version of the orcs with the Tyranids exactly. and vice versa. Yeah, so I think that possibly uh, the idea is that the Necrons will start to arise in such scale, but they will predominantly be directed at the Tyranids. Because uh, the, the Necrons actually fight alongside the Blood Angels against the Tyranids in some of their books. Yeah. So the ter- the Necrons do recognize the threat of the Terranids, even if the Terranids wouldn't attack them, because the Necrons are uh, all made of living metal, so they're not biomass at all. So the Terranids wouldn't attack the Necrons, and like out- yeah. other than out of defense. So they are kind of the perfect guys to go after them. Uh, but I think that's the idea there. I think the idea is. Storyline-wise, probably keep building the threat of the Tyranids and making them more and more dangerous, and then having the Necrons kind of have an upsurge and take the fight back to the Necr- uh, sorry to the Tyranids. Yeah, I think that's yeah. the idea. But it would make for a good story. So it would, yeah, and it would really bring the Necrons into kind of into the fold of alongside humanity's kind of thing a bit, I guess. Yeah, Which really cement cool. that place back in. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I would I would be interested to see how that goes, and I'll I'll keep you posted as we go forward if if anything happens with that. We will talk a little bit more about the Terranids in the Necron episode because the, there's a thing that goes on there um, that I would like to mention, like kind of a theory that's around that. But we'll again we'll we'll deal with that at a later date. But yeah. I think that's enough of Terranids for now. Oh, alrighty then. Yeah. Well, do you want me to round it off then? Yes, please. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. Um, It's been me, Mess, and Ryan. uh, And we will see you in the next one. Take care and peace. Bye.